It is time for us to begin. If you will, have a seat. would like to welcome you to our worship uh, this morning, especially if you are a visitor, you're our special guests. Um, let us know if there's anything that uh, we can do for you. We hope that whatever you find um, in your uh, worship experience this morning, that it is in keeping with God's word, because that is our goal, to worship in him in spirit and truth, and according to the pattern that we find in the New Testament. Um, if you are visiting with us, uh, there are visitor's cards in the pew there in front of you, the back of the pew, uh, if you will, and haven't filled out one of those before, uh, please do so and give it to uh, one of the individuals as you leave or one of the members around you, and they will, uh, they will get, it, uh, get it to us. Um, should let you know that we are, at least at this point, not uh, distributing the Lord's Supper uh, the way we traditionally have in the past, but in more recent tradition, uh, we have those available out in the lobby, and if you don't have one at this time, if you raise your hand, David will uh, will get you uh, one or two of those. Um, also, the collection, uh, as the members know here, uh, is no longer done by the men going throughout the group, and we have the two black black boxes in the back of the auditorium uh, for that for that piece. If you are not aware of the fact, Kristen Ward passed away, I believe it was this last Thursday morning, um, and uh, the funeral arrangements and, and that David will take care of all that information uh, in the announcements a little bit later. Uh, we are, uh, our hearts, uh, thoughts are with Ward and the uh, white extended families. Um, and as I say, details will be more uh, later in the announcements. Um, this morning, um, John Kelly is our song leader. The reading of prayer will be done by Brian Ward. The Lord's Table uh, will be handled by Dwight Dunford, and our closing prayer will be by Jeff Floyd. So if there's nothing further, let's uh, bow and uh, go to far our Father in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the love that you have for us, the uh, the foresight that you had by giving us your word so that we will know what your will is for us and what you have done for your people throughout history. We pray, Father, that as we gather this morning to worship you, that we will set aside things of this life that influence our thoughts and that we will do everything we can to focus upon you and our worship for you and the love that you have for us and the love that was demonstrated in the giving of your son for our sins. We pray that all that we do here this morning will be in accordance with your uh, word, that we will follow the pattern that we have been given there and that as we leave today, that we will be able to say that uh, we have been edified having been here this morning and that we have devoted ourselves fully to worshiping you. Father, we ask a, a special prayer for the wards and, and the white families that they will draw strength from you as they face this situation. Father, we pray also for all those who are suffering um, at this point, whether physically or spiritually, that they will turn to you for strength and that whatever means are being used to help those individuals, that they we pray that they will be successful. We pray that you be with us now as we enter into this worship service. 
Be with us now. Forgive us of our sins as we repent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 553. Rise up, O men of God. 553. <clears throat> Rise up, O men of God. Next hymn this morning, number 290, I Love Thy Kingdom, Lord, number 290. After this hymn, Brother Brian Ward will have our scripture and prayer. I love thy kingdom, Lord, thy house of Sure as thy truth. 
scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a, a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from flesh, fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Would you bow with me, please? Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, Father, and we're thankful for this opportunity we have to gather here this morning, Father, to hear another portion from your word, to partake of the Lord's Supper, Father, to sing praises to you. Father, we pray that all this we do uh, is in a worthy manner and it goes to the, the greatness of your kingdom. Father, we pray that you be with all of those that are suffering, Father, all those that are sick. Be with them, Father. Be with the doctors and nurses attending to them. Father, we pray that you'd be with James and, and Leanne and, and Ronnie and Linda. Be with them. Give them the strength they need, Father. Father, be with us the rest of this week. Help us to be the examples we need to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Next hymn, number 287, I Love the Lord. We'll sing the first two verses, and then we'll have the communion service. <clears throat>
I'll be reading from Luke 13, verse 22. Luke 13, verse 22. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. In this verse, we uh, are told through the Bible that this was Jesus' last journey that he was going to make on earth. It was, it was going to take a matter of a few months but on this journey, he went on his way teaching, and he was doing the will of God. He, he, had a, he was destined on this earth to go to the cross to uh, pay for the, the sins of the whole world, for each and every one of our sins. And also, I want to read in Genesis 22, verses 1 through 8. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and he said unto Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, take thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon the, one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. And on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide here with the ass, and I, I and he, the lad, will go yonder and worship, and will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Offering, so they went both of them together. In this verse, uh, we see that Abraham was taking a journey like the journey that Jesus was taking, but Abraham was willing to do what God asked, asked of him. And here we see, too, Christ willingly took this journey to Jerusalem to a torturous death upon the cross, which resulted in his crucifixion. Christ was, was without sin, and he was willing to shed his own blood for the sins of all of mankind. As we think upon these things, uh, let's go to God as, as we partake of the emblems that represents Christ's body and his blood that was shed for us. We pray with me. Our Father in heaven, at this time we remember Christ our Savior, the journey that he took to the cross that he was willing to do because he loved each and every one of us and wanted us to be forgiven of the sins that we commit here on earth. 
as we remember Christ's body at this time, Lord, help us to think back upon the many things that, that you have done for us and the good things in life that you have provided. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Likewise, the, the fruit of the vine represents the blood of Christ that was shed for our sins. Let us go to God again in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we remember Christ, our Lord and Savior, at this time, the blood that he shed for our sins, we are thankful, God, that, that you loved us enough to give your only begotten Son and it is with sorrow, Lord, that we remember the th things that caused his death because of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This, this concludes the Lord's Supper, but at, at this time we, we want to remember all the good things that, that God has done for us in our lives, the many blessings that we have. There's so many things to be thankful for, and, and we are, are also thankful at this time that our country's not facing a war, even though maybe one day we might, but we're thankful that we don't have to face this in our lives, we, we hope, in, in our lifetime. But let's remember those, too, that are suffering in other countries because of war but, and be thankful to God with, with our offering as, as we go to God in prayer. Dear Lord, we, we are thankful for every blessing that you have given us. We, we realize that everything that we have comes from you. Everything good comes from above. Lord, uh, bless this offering that it may be used to further thy word here in this community and in this church and bless each and every one that has has offering to give to, back to you lord just a portion of what you've given to us in jesus name we pray amen Let's all please stand again. We'll sing number 134, Faith is the Victory. <clears throat> so at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. <clears throat> we'll sing the first three verses. Encamped along the hills of light, he pressed his
The invitation hymn for this morning, number 701, tomorrow may be too late, 701, this time for the Christmas. Good morning. Uh, when Kelly and I were young, just uh, I think I was a sophomore, she would have been a freshman going into our sophomore year, going into my junior year, we got the opportunity to go to New Zealand uh, for our mission trip. And that was my first time out of the country, and there's some fallout there. I'll tell you the stories later if you'd like to hear them, but they're really embarrassing for me personally. Um, so, but one of the cool things that we found there uh, was it's just a really hilly area. We think, we think this is a hilly area, and it is, uh, but the area that we, were, that we were stationed in while we were there for a couple of weeks was Wellington, and it is, I mean, it's just a city of hills. And one of these, I'm telling you this story because we looked up on this mountainside one time and I saw a house and the house was built halfway on the mountainside, halfway hanging off the mountainside. And there were a couple of these massive buttresses that were kind of diagonally stationed into, uh, into the mountainside and they were holding up the half of the house that was hanging off the edge. And I thought, who in the world would want to live there? That sounds like an awful place to live, you know? Like, what if, what if it falls off the mountainside? What if one of those little things rots? And what if the buttresses rots and, it, and it, you fall? Since then, I found this thing called Airbnb. You guys familiar with Airbnbs? And you, there's an app that you can, you can look on a variety of different places. And if you don't know where you're going, uh, if you don't have a specific place that you want to go, you can say uh, something like, take me to fun places or take me to an adventure or whatever. And there are some places that I've found on there that are on the side of mountains, and it's just this glass enclosure, and it's stuck onto the side of a mountain. And you, you ride an elevator down, I guess, to get into this little house, but it's stuck on the side of a mountain. And I thought, man, it, it takes a lot of courage, a lot of confidence to be able to get into one of those houses and think, I'm going to live here for a little bit. I'm going to be able to fall asleep hanging off the side of a mountain. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that or not. Then today we're in Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to start in verse 1. He, he talks a lot about faith. In fact, that's what this passage is all about. It's all about faith. Hebrews 11 is all about faith. And I was thinking about this passage, and I was thinking about that house in New Zealand and these ones I've seen on, on the Airbnb sites that are sitting on the side of, of mountains. And I thought, it takes a lot of faith to... To, to, to build that thing. It would take a lot of faith to, to reserve that thing, but it takes an awful lot of faith to live in that thing, doesn't it? To live in that house, it would take an awful lot of faith. Let me read for you Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We're not going through this, um, this chapter verse by verse. Uh, there's so much here, and there's so much that we can and should probably talk about. 
Um, but I kind of wanted to cover this as one unit. So we're going to walk through this entire chapter and just kind of pick and choose the things that we talk about. But I think it'd be a great exercise for you and your family this week to sit down with Hebrews chapter 11 and try to pick apart these, these different heroes of faith and why he gives you the exact example that he gives you. Uh, why didn't he give, like say from Joseph's life, there are a multiplicity of examples of incredible faith. Why does he choose this particular one? I think that'd be a really healthy exercise for, all, for us all to go through this week because we're not going to have time to walk through them ourselves um, together today. So do that on your own this week and, and get back with me. I'd love to hear what you found out. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, he has this, this incredible definition for faith. It's not uh, complete. It's not uh, all of what faith is. He's driving at a point, and we'll, we'll get to his point in just a second. But let's, let's listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And, and that's kind of what he's driving at throughout this whole chapter is there are some things that you can't see that you, that you don't have empirical evidence for. Empirical, empirical evidence is things that you can touch. I know that this podium's here because I can touch it, right? I know that uh, my car is there because I drive it every day. I've touched it. I know my house is there because I, I live in it. Right? I can touch these things. I know that uh, I know when supper's ready. This morning we eat cinnamon rolls every Sunday morning because my kids love cinnamon rolls. <laughs> and this morning I was cooking them, and you can smell them. How did I know they were in the oven? I could smell them. These are empirical evidences. We have trust that these things are here because I can touch them. Right? I can smell them. I can taste them. I can see them. It's a lot harder to believe in something that you can't see, you can't touch, you can't taste. Or smell. It's not impossible. And in fact, you should have faith in those things, at least in one of those things that you can't touch, see, smell, or hear. The Hebrew writer reminds us that faith is the conviction of things not seen. He uses a legal term there when he says conviction. It's uh, a word you might find in uh, the courtroom. You are convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is true. Um, you've seen the evidence. You guys, some of you guys are like you like the, uh, the 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 detective shows and where they something will happen and some the detective will come on the scene and he'll try to put together all this evidence, right? And he'll get to the logical conclusion of basically who done it, right? Who committed the crime? That's what faith is, you've looked at the evidence, right, and you've come to the logical conclusion. That's what he says faith is. But then he, he kind of has this, this caveat, like our example this morning with the houses are built onto the side of cliffs. Somebody, I'm a supposing an incredibly intelligent engineer, looked at that cliffside and thought, yeah, we could put a house over that. I wouldn't live there. But he thought, yeah, that, that'll work in his studies and uh, the things that that he has learned over his span, I am sure, of life, convinced him that they could put a house up there and that it would be sturdy, that it would work. Things that you can see, things that you can touch, right? He had had evidence that that would work. 
the Hebrew writer says there's another component to faith, though. Like, it doesn't take any faith to know that, that this podium's here, does it? Because you can reach out and grab it. It doesn't take any faith to know that your spouse is there or that the person sitting beside you is there because you can reach out and, and grab them, right? It doesn't take any faith to know that, but the things that you can't see takes a little bit more faith to know that those things are true, doesn't it? And the Hebrew writer says there's another component to faith. It's not just evidence, although we're sure, right? We've, we've looked at the evidence for the existence of God, and we've come to the logical conclusion that He does indeed exist and that He has demanded some things from us. We, we found those in the book that He wrote, right? And, and we can prove that that has come from Him. And so these things are, are His words. We've looked at the evidence, and we've come to the logical conclusion. So when you hear faith, I think our world hears us talk about faith, and they say, well, it's just a blind leap, right? You don't have any evidence for, for what you believe. You have insurmountable evidence for what you believe, right? You can prove that God exists. And as the Hebrew writer would say, that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We can prove those things. We should prove those things. But faith is more than just the evidence. It's also, he would say, stepping out, I suppose. Trusting is how I think he would phrase it. A trust that goes beyond logic. A trust that goes beyond logic. Because you believe that the one that has promised these things is faithful. Just like you believe that you're going to be able to walk and the floor is not going to fall through, you can trust that God's going to come through for you. That He's going to hold up His promises. He's coming through on those promises. Now that is a very big deal for us as well as the, the, the audience that the Hebrew writer is writing to, he's speaking to, because they feel like they're on shaky ground. They're kind of looking around, and maybe some of you are looking around today and thinking, where is God? There's an awful lot of stuff going on that doesn't make sense, and I'm scared, and I'm lost, and I'm hurting. And they were in that exact situation. They had been persecuted to the point that they were beginning to think about walking away. Some of them had already walked away from their faith, from the church, from God. And so the Hebrew writer writes to them to shore them up. He's made this deeply theological argument about the significance of Christ as our high priest. And don't, don't turn away from that. How could you walk back into Judaism because you have to give up Jesus as your high priest to go back into a man as your high priest who also sins so he's made this, this really theological argument. But last week he kind of pivoted and he, he twisted on us a little bit and he, he started applying it to us. What does this theological argument mean? And today he, it's more of the same. What does this theological argument mean to me? Well, he says, faith, you've looked at the evidence and you've come to the logical conclusion. Are you willing to step out now and trust him? When times are hard. That's really the question that he's going to try to answer for you today. And he's going to walk you through a multiplicity 
of examples when someone came up against a hard time in their life and you know what? God came through for them every time. And He wants you to see the abundance here. He wants you to be amazed by the, 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 the variety of people and the multiplicity of people that God has done this for. It's almost like every time someone puts their trust in Him, He comes through. He wants you to see that. And so we're going to walk through some of these, these things today. But, but take note, first of all, of this definition here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. You can be sure. It's the assurance of things hoped for. Hoped is another word that we don't use usually in the biblical fashion. We talked about that a little bit last week. Hope is a sure thing. It's concrete. It's not something I wish for. It's not something I want. It's something I believe and know is going to happen. And so faith is the assurance of what I know for sure is going to happen. It's the conviction, the evidence for things that I haven't seen yet, but I am convinced that they're true. Right? Just like those people that live in those houses are convinced that they're not going to fall. I'm convinced that there are some things that I can't see, that I can't smell, I can't touch. I don't have empirical evidence for, but I am convinced that they're true. Let me walk you through some of these examples. The first part here, if you take notes in your Bible, maybe draw this line from Hebrews 11, verse 1, to Hebrews 11, verse uh, 7. Hebrews 11, 1 through 7 is, is I think, uh, a section that he wants us to see as one unit. And he says here, biblical faith believes in the impossible. Biblical faith believes in the impossible. That's kind of like how we're going to couch the, the, the different uh, sections of Hebrews chapter 11. Biblical faith does this. In Hebrews 11, 1 through 7, biblical faith believes in the impossible. He starts off here with the universe. You weren't there when it was created, and I wasn't there. In fact, no one was there when it was created. And so how do you know that it was created? How do you know that it didn't just evolve? And Genesis, in the Hebrew author, makes the argument that it was, it was created ex nihilo, right? There wasn't anything there when God created it, and he, he made everything out of, out of nothing. And, and there it is. Boop, there it is. You know, It would have been quite the sight, but we weren't there to be able to see it but we still believe it, don't we? We still believe that. We believe in the impossible because when you try to wrap your mind around that, you think, well, how did that happen? I don't know. But I believe, I believe he did it, right? Look at this next little bit. Uh, in verse 6, he says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. As you read through this chapter this week, I know we skipped Abel and Enoch, and we're just going to have to read through those on our own this week. But as you read through this chapter this week, start underlining or maybe highlighting these verses where he talks about not being able to see things. He's going to refer to that, that thought a multiplicity of times throughout this chapter. And that that, that's just one instance where he says uh, in verse 7, By faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. What did Noah do? What was Noah, what, what, did, what did God tell Noah was going to happen? Noah, there's going to be a flood. 
And you've got you to kind of put yourself in Noah's shoes here because Noah most likely has never even seen rain. And so, like, what are you going to do, Noah? There's going to be a flood. Noah's like, okay, God, I believe you. I've got a couple of questions. What's a flood? And God explains what a flood is, I suppose. And then he says, I want you to build an ark. And Noah says, okay, God, I'll build that second question. What's an ark? You know, like, so he's got all these questions because he doesn't have any background. He's not got any history with these things. But what's he do? He obeys. He's never seen any of this stuff happen before. He's never seen, if he has seen rain, he's never seen a flood. No doubt about that, right? But he believes. He believes in the impossible. God's going to do something that's impossible. But here, Noah kind of looks at him and says, I, I hear you, and I believe you're going to do that, and I believe I need to be prepared for that. Biblical faith believes in the impossible. There are some things in your life right now that you think are impossible hurdles to overcome. Biblical faith says you stick with God and He overcomes those things for you. Now, let me walk you through this next section because I think it's important too. Hebrews 11, 8 through 22 is the next little section. Hebrews 8, or Hebrews 11, 8 through 22. Biblical faith beholds the invisible. Biblical faith beholds the invisible. Check out Abraham. As you walk through this hall of faith, this, this chapter is generally called the hall of faith, the hall of fame. You come across these first three busts, these first three people that God is holding up as examples for who he would like us to be, how he would like to interact with us as he tells us things, as he asks us to trust him. He says, here's three guys who did this in incredible ways, Abel, Enoch, and, uh, and Noah. These guys didn't see what was going to happen, but they believed it anyhow. God told them the wildest, craziest thing was going to happen, and they, they believed. And they started readying their lives so that they could, they could do this, so that they were prepared for when His promise came through. The next one he comes to, the next person he wants to hold up for you, and in fact, the, maybe the, the highlight star of Hebrews 11 is, is Abraham. You interact with him here in Hebrews 11, verse 8. Abraham believes the invisible is possible. Let me walk you through it. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. You remember the story, right? He was in Haran. Um, his dad had moved uh, his family from Ur of the Chaldees to Haran. I'm assuming God had told him to do that, else why has he done it? Um, and so he has moved, Terah has moved Abraham and, and the rest of his children and their families to Haran. And there his, uh, Terah's son dies and he names this, this lot of land uh, Haran. And, and that's where Terah will die. Um, and so Abraham gets this call from the Lord and he says, Hey, you're not supposed to stay here. This wasn't the end goal. Get up and move your family and, and go to the place that I tell you. And that's where I'm going to build you an inheritance. And what does Abraham do? Okay. <laughs> he leaves everything. And, and kind of it's the idea that Paul would come across uh, in Philippians. He counts all that as rubbish, all that as trash, all the stuff. Uh, his inheritance, all the stuff that his dad had given him, all these things, they don't matter 
No, there's no security there. A lot of times we find security in bank accounts, right, and in possessions. Abraham says there's no security there. You said, Lord, that you're going to bring me to this land that's going to be an inheritance for me. I believe you. No security there, but there is security with you, Lord. And so he, he goes, and he went out, verse 8, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now, what's the kicker here? What's the kicker with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in this land of promise? They didn't own any of it. You ever stopped and thought about that first? Just for a second, stop and think. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived in Canaan. Where were their houses? They didn't have houses, did they? Where did they live in? Lived in tents, right? How did Abraham refer to himself? How did Isaac and Jacob refer to themselves? Interestingly enough, how did King David refer to himself? Turn to Psalm 39. Psalm 39. David's going to live in a palace. Not only does he have a house, David's king. He's got a palace. He's got a people, right? So it's not the possessions that's, that's what we need to focus on here. Because David is going to refer to himself as the exact same word that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob refer to themselves. It may be more clear with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they don't have houses. They have tents, and they move around a lot. David is a stationary guy. He's built a palace. He's here in this, in this city, and this is, where his, this is where he lives. But he's a sojourner, too. Look at it. Psalm 39, verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a, a what? I'm a sojourner with you, a guest. Like who? All my fathers. David says, all the people who came before me, all the way back to Abraham, all of us are sojourners here. You know why? Because we don't belong. We don't belong here. We don't have any, any rights here. We had rights. Abraham would have had rights back in Haran, back in Ur of the Chaldees. He would have had a, he would have had a voting stake. It's much like a refugee comes over uh, to America. Do they have voting rights? They, they don't, do they? Uh, they don't have a say in how the government functions. Abraham would have been in a very similar situation as he moved away from Ur of the Chaldees to this land that God, God has promised him. He doesn't have these rights, and he says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a sojourner here. I'm, a, I'm an alien. I'm a pilgrim here. I'm not going to stay. This isn't where I'm, uh, I'm meant to be. And even if he did have rights in that land, like David does years later, he still considers himself a sojourner. Why? Because he wasn't built for this place. He was built for the next. Listen to what he, listen to what he says. Verse 10, Hebrews eleven ten, For he was looking forward to the city, Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He can't see it, right? There's a lot of things that you can't see that we need to put our faith in. One of those, the, the main thing that you need to put your faith in you can't see is God, right? We need to have trust in Him. 
And that needs to run its way throughout every facet of our lives. Here's your second example uh, that comes right alongside Abraham, his wife, Sarah. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. She is past the age of childbearing years, but God has done something. He promised that she would have a child, and even though she is past the age of childbearing years, what happens? She gets pregnant. She has a child. And she believed God that that would happen. Now, initially she laughs, right? But then she trusts. She believes that she can see the invisible things. He he concludes Abraham's story with these words. Therefore, in verse 12, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. He says Abraham was was just, I mean, he might as well have been dead for all the inheritance that he had, for all the children that he had. Abraham might as well have been dead, but he believed God that he could do the impossible. He trusted in the invisible things. Some he couldn't see or touch or smell or hear because God said it, he believed it. In verse 13, he starts talking about heaven. It's almost like he takes an aside here. Uh, The Hebrew writer just seems to be overwhelmed by uh, God's goodness, His grace. And so he takes an aside here in in verse 13. I think we need to see. He says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, all these people that were promised the land, what happened? They didn't own any of it. Abraham owned a a tiny bit. It's where he's buried. That's the only part of Canaan that he ever owned. So what? There are times when God comes through, He makes good on His promise, but it's not during your lifetime. That's okay. The important thing to remember is that He comes through. He always comes through. He always makes good on these promises. We don't always get to see it, but He always makes good on these promises. He says, these guys, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, they all greeted these promises from afar. They were so sure that these things were coming. They were, they were already saying hi to them. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. He says, you don't belong here. You belong somewhere else. You belong in heaven, and that's the place that you're looking for. That's the place that we're longing for, the place that we believe that He has set up for us. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, Ur of the Chaldees or Haran, they would have had opportunity to return. He said, they could have gone back. You can go back. There's nothing back there for you. You can go back, but there's nothing back there. The only way forward is with God. He has the words of life. Where else can you go? Verse 16, But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. In case you missed that, the Hebrew writer points it out for him. He's talking about heavenly. He's talking about heaven. Therefore God is... You need to listen to this. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared them a, a city. He says God likes people 
that have this kind of mindset, who are so devoted to Him, who so trust in Him, that even though we can't see it, even though it looks impossible for us, we believe that He's going to come through. We're so sure. Because that's what He does. He comes through. He makes good on these promises. Skip down to verse 22. Talking about a guy who sees the invisible, who's looking forward to the impossible, looking forward to the invisible. Hebrews 11 verse 22 says, By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So Joseph, when he enters Egypt, everything is coming up roses for the Jewish people in Egypt. Uh, he's second in charge. His family's being uh, lauded. And they have the best of the country. But years later, they're slaves in that same country. And Joseph looks beyond that and says, when you guys leave Egypt, because I know you're going to leave, because Egypt isn't the land that God has given to us, right? It's not the land that God told us we were going to inherit. That's, that's Canaan. We know where that land is. We're going back there. When you go back there, don't leave my bones here. Take them back, take them back to Canaan. He's looking forward to the, this, this time where he can go back to uh, back to that land. Arthur could have pointed to many instances of faith in Joseph's, in Joseph's life. He chose this one. Literally the last of Joseph's faithful acts. Because his readers needed to see just because you die doesn't mean God's promises die. He's still faithful. Even if we die. Especially if we die in his service. He moves on to Moses in the next section. Hebrews 11, 23-31 is the next section uh, where he says, Biblical faith braves the unimaginable. Hebrews 11, 23-31, Biblical faith braves the unimaginable. Check out Moses. He's going to point to Moses as one of these first examples. He was born, he's hidden for three months um, by his parents because of this, this decree that's come from Pharaoh. All the male children are supposed to be uh, murdered. And he says that they, Moses' parents, were not afraid of the king's edict. They weren't afraid of, of this law. They, their faith put them at odds with the government. They're, they answer to a higher power. So Moses' future was more clear to them than Pharaoh's threats. His future was more clear to them than Pharaoh's threats. Many of the Hebrews are, uh, are dealing with this exact same situation. Uh, they would have been very uncomfortable with their faith being at odds with the legal system, with being at odds with, uh, with the government, specifically the Jewish aristocracy at this point. But coming up, the Roman government uh, is going... They're going to be uncomfortable with that idea. But he says, God's promises are more sure than their threats. You can and should be bold. Verse 26, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward, right? He leaves Egypt. He's not afraid of the anger of the king. For he was... And for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. 
By faith he kept the Passover, he sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. He says, Moses puts his faith in all these things that you can't see. But he's sure that they're going to happen. In fact, in verse 29, the faith, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea on the dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. The water was obviously dangerous, right? It killed the Egyptians, but God used it to deliver Israel. Biblical faith knows that deliverance can be had by passing through suffering, not avoiding it. Sometimes we want to avoid suffering. Biblical faith knows that deliverance can be had by passing through suffering if God is there. Just like they passed through the Red Sea. Had God not been there, what would have happened? The waters came crushing back down on them. But God is in the midst of our suffering with us and so... Biblical faith tells us that we can have deliverance because we pass through suffering as long as we stick with God. He continues on here with with Rahab in verse 31. And I think his point here may be if Rahab the prostitute can have an intimate relationship with God, if she can trust in him, so can you. It doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter what you've done, if you're ready to give over your life and completely trust in Him, He can do it. He'll make good on His promises to you, just like He did to her. He continues here in verse 32, What more can I say? All these these people, He's got all these examples that He wants to use. And I would imagine, like I said last week, I think this is a sermon, and it seems to me that He's probably been preaching for a couple of hours. And, Maybe somebody's back in the back with their, their with their timer out, you know, the, looking at their watch, and he says, "Ah, I don't, I'm running out of time. I want to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all these prophets." But you know the stories, just like you know the stories. You know that these people put their faith in things that they couldn't see, and God came through for them. Faith. It's the Assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's, we have evidence, right? But you have to do something with the evidence. You've got to move on it. You've got to trust in Him. And when you do, you have a whole host of witnesses here who are ready to back up the fact that God delivers on His promises every single time. It may not happen during your lifetime, and that's okay. And you may have to walk through suffering to get to that promise, and that's okay. The point is never to avoid suffering. The point is to be close to Him. And do you have the faith that's big enough and bold enough to do so? We walk through a tough time these days, haven't we? We've lost several folks that we deeply care about. Faith tells us that we'll see them again. We're sure, right? We've seen the evidence. Walking through life without them can be difficult, right? And so, he encourages us to dig deep, to look back at these examples of faith and know that he comes through. He makes good on His promises every time. When it looks impossible, He comes through. When you're facing a difficult situation, 
and you just don't see how it can work out, he comes through. Even at the end of your life, as you look back and you think, I haven't seen all those promises come through yet. Like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't see those promises. The inheritance come through for them. They were still rock-solid believers that God was going to make good on His promises. And He did. And He does. He'll make good on His promises for you, just like He did to them. You stick with Him. You stay faithful. You stay bold. Don't allow anything to make your faith waver in Him. There's evidence that we need to look at, that we can be sure that He is good, that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Now all we have to do is trust and seek Him. This morning, if you've not been baptized into Christ, today can be the perfect day to set a brand new legacy for yourself and your family, to make things right with God, to be reconciled back to Him, to, come, to become friends with Him again, an intimacy that we lost at the Garden of Eden can be yours today as you have your sins washed away. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning and you just need the prayers of this congregation to live boldly, to have faith in an admittedly difficult life. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Good morning, church family. Hope everybody's doing all right this morning. Chris, great lesson. Appreciate you, brother, and the time you put into your lessons. As Rick mentioned earlier in his announcements, uh, Kristen Ward passed away Thursday morning, and services will be held today at Hall's Funeral Home. Um, the visitation is at 1 o'clock, and the funeral is at 3 o'clock. Um, so 
do encourage everybody to go to that. But remember to continue to keep the ward and the White family in your prayers at this time. James was here. Um, but uh, up, update on the directory. Um, it is done, but we uh, were waiting for a new printer. Uh, it should be on its way. Um, right now, the printer we have, uh, just like it, everything else in electronics, they don't make the parts anymore. Uh, so, so we are waiting for our new printer um, that can, you know, do uh, the, uh, the directory justice. So uh, just be patient with me, and we'll have it all done and, and ready to go here soon. Uh, today will be Sunday for the Savior at 5 o'clock. This is for kindergarten through fifth grade. Also, tomorrow we will be taking a church bus to Flatwoods Church of Christ uh, to hear Greg Tidwell. Uh, the bus will be leaving at 6.20 um, to hear him. So just meet us here at the building, and we will head there at 6.20. Also, WeShine is now accepting applications for three to four years old. Um, if you have any questions, please see Connie Miller. Um, we're also uh, need your help on cutting grass this summer. There's a sign-up sheet on the foyer board if you can help cut grass. The mower is provided. The gas is provided. Um, if you have any questions, please see Greg Sullivan on that. Also, Monday, the April 11th at 9 o'clock will be the Elders and Preachers Breakfast. In Milton, they are starting that back up again. I believe Dave Gladwell will be the guest speaker for that. Um, also, Wednesday, April 6th, will be Stepping Stones Dinner. Beef Stroganoff is on the menu. And Saturday, uh, which will be next Saturday, April 9th, will be our egg hunt at 6 o'clock. Um, do get your kids involved in that. Bring your own baskets. Uh, Rick Keister will be joining us in the peep-eating contest. No? You don't like peeps? I don't either. Those things are disgusting. <laughs> it's just funny seeing everybody's face when they shove them in their mouth. It's, just, it's classic. All right. Um, also, Sunday, April 10th, will be a high school devotional and middle school devotional, so please put that in your schedule, guys. Uh, and uh, we also have the preacher rotation. Mark Eights will be our guest speaker. Uh, Casey Baker has informed me that uh, uh, thank you for all the, uh, the meals uh, that have been provided for him and Jennifer, and your dishes are out in the foyer table, so please grab those before you leave. Updates on our prayer list. Uh, Merrill continue to keep Jim Haney in your prayers. He was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, myeloma and is having test results on April 14th, so keep him in your prayers. Yvonne Cornell has been moved to assistant living uh, facility, so remember to continue to keep her in your prayers at this time. Uh, remember to keep Gail's son in your prayers, Sean Maynard. Uh, keep Judy Gerald in your prayers. Remember to continue to keep Jennifer Baker in your prayers as she uh, continues with her treatments. Um, Mary, continue to keep me in your prayers. As I didn't have surgery uh, Thursday. Uh, still, I'm having respiratory issues. Um, they're going to try again this Thursday. It's week by week. So, um, but uh, Mary, continue to keep me in your prayers. Mary, uh, keep Roger and Peg in your prayers. Uh, things are going good with Roger. Uh, he's still going through physical therapy. 
um, just having a tough time with that, but Merrin, continue to keep him in your prayers. And uh, Charlie Boso, Merrin, continue to pray for him uh, as well. Uh, Darren Baker has also asked for prayers as well. He is smol- uh, smoldering myeloma as well, and uh, Merrin, continue to keep him in your prayers as he's going through tests with that. That's all the announcements I have. Looking forward to seeing everybody again at 6 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 173, God of Our Fathers. 173. You sing the first two verses, and then Brother Jeff Floyd will lead us in prayer. God Let us pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we come to you. Lord, we pray that we can take the lesson we learned today and about faith and use it in our lives. Lord, we pray that you will be with this congregation. We pray, Lord, for so many that are suffering, um, those who are dealing with cancer. We pray that you'll continue to be with Jennifer Baker and Darren and Jim Haney and so many others. And Lord, be with those also who are dealing with other issues. And, Lord, we want to continue to pray for James Ward and children and uh, Linda and the rest of the family. We pray, Lord, that you'll be with them and help us to comfort them. Lord, be with those in Ukraine, and, Lord, let that situation end and keep those people safe during this, during this time. Lord, be with us. Be with those who are traveling. Forgive us of our sins. In Christ's name we pray, and amen. Yeah, I know. Well...